Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, here we go. Welcome back to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is our Group of Five deep dive. I'm joined by the Action Network's Mike Ionello, as always. And we're busting out the brass because we're tooting our horns here after a very positive Week 12 in which we went, what was it, 7-2 and two across the board, 2-0 two, two and oh on yep. our best bets, connecting that underdog parlay that hit at, you know, 6-1 to one or, or close there or thereabouts. It felt good. Boise State, you know, I put my neck out, put it on the podcast. That was my pick of the year, and they blank. The rudderless, captainless, crappy New Mexico Lobo offense. So I felt really good. And I, I'll get into my G5 Hero of the Week that does come from that game. Maybe a little bit of a surprise who I picked there. But before we get into that, I know I think you have a little housekeeping and framing to do as we head towards Conference Championship Week. Kind of sad, you know, last full slate, not even a full Saturday because you have the Thursday, Friday games, which is kind of nice. But we wanted to give, you know, our obviously our G5 lovers some so something to look for, you know, what, what are you watching for this weekend? What are you looking for as far as the conference title scenarios go? Obviously, we don't care about the playoffs. I don't care about playoff scenarios. We want to know who's playing for the conference. So I'll run through the conferences. The AAC, that's already settled. We're going to get Houston versus Cincinnati. That They both clinched. We really have nothing to play for in the American. Uh, conference USA, our, our Meet Meet Roadrunners clinched in a thrilling, thrilling victory. Um, so they won the West, and they will play a really good game this week. They will play the winner of Western Kentucky at Marshall. They play each other this week. Winner wins the East and will play UTSA in the Conference USA title game. We may have more on that a little bit later. In the MAC, <clears throat> Northern Illinois somehow won the West. The Fighting Rocky Lombardis just continue to you know, pull the horseshoe out of their ass and win games. They have no <laughs> business winning. But they will be in Detroit for the MAC championship. And they will play the winner of Miami, Ohio at Kent State, which is taking place this weekend. So another two good games to decide who goes to the conference title. I may have picks on both of them. Uh, Sunbelt is already decided. Don't let the ladies come between you and the belt. 
Louisiana came through for you. They had already won it, but they came through and cashed that huge underdog play against Liberty. They will play App State for the Sun Belt Conference. And then the Mountain West is where it gets a little bit hairy. So neither side has been decided yet. In the West, it is down to San Diego State and Fresno State. If San Diego State wins against Boise State on Friday, they are in. They represent the West in the Mountain West Championship game. But if Fresno State wins on Thursday against San Jose State, and then San Diego State loses, which is – I mean, Boise State could beat them. It's a pretty toss-up game right now. So Fresno State, if they win, San Diego State loses. Fresno is in. San Diego State winning in. From the mountain, we have a three-way tie at the top between Air Force, Boise State, and Utah State. Uh, Air Force actually is in the driver's seat right now. They hold the tiebreakers uh, over Boise State. So if, uh, if Air Force wins and Boise State wins, Air Force is in the title game. If Air Force wins, Boise State loses, then they also need Utah State to lose because Utah State does have the tiebreaker over Air Force. If all three lose, Air Force is in. If all three win, Air Force is in. Boise State needs a win and an Air Force loss, then they're in. And Utah State needs a win and a Boise State loss. Everybody got Everyone got all that? <laughs> Make all makes sense? Basically, Air Force has a tiebreaker over Boise State. Boise State has a tiebreaker over utah state and utah state has a tiebreaker over air force so that's kind of how it works out basically air force is in the driver's seat if they lose and boise wins they're in if boise loses utah state's in utah state that was one of the most surprising outcomes of the weekends uh, i was actually embroiled in a college fantasy football semifinal, and two of the the other matchup uh my father and a good friend of mine were glued to that game because my father's individual defensive player was playing for Wyoming. So I watched the entire thing also had Utah state on the money line and that fell apart, but I was just shocked because it had the makings of just a pure shootout. And it looked like, you know, that was a kind of game that was comfortable with Utah state playing in. And then Bonner got knocked, uh, knocked around a little bit. He, he started limping a little bit and they just, they couldn't get it together. And for the life of them, they couldn't get a stop. Wyoming all of a sudden, explosive offensively, you know, running, throwing everything, which had been missing for just about two months, really since that opening season game against Northern Illinois, in which I think they scored 40 mid forties in that game. Since then they had not been able to put it together over the course of 60 minutes, but that was one of the most surprising outcomes. And it does make for this absolute ridiculous scenario in the, is it the mountain mountain? They got to get new names out there. <laughs> this is not a good situation for the, the divisions. In but- the West. Let's hop into our Heroes of the Week. I'll get started in the Mountain West Conference. And last week I had Boise. It's my play of the year. Lane 27 and a half. They win 37 nothing, blanking New Mexico. But for those of you who stayed up late and watched that game, got to give a, a shout out to their kicker, Dalmas. He had some of the most electric celebrations. He was digging deep into the bag. First one, he, he <laughs> kind of hooked a field goal in, and he, he did a little seven iron posed with it. Let it, you know, spin, the shot spin in his hand. Yeah, goes back to the sideline. And I was watching the game, as I mentioned, with, with a couple guys who were interested financially in it. 
and they they got a kick out of that. And they're like, I wonder if he's going to celebrate if he gets another one. He brought out all the good stuff for the next kick that he made. He did the Dante Culpepper, you know, false start celebration. He was doing the Ryan Archie Diacono Archer long shot uh, archery bow stuff. He was like chest bumping. It kind of looked like that Key and Peel sketch where he's dapping up and shaking hands with everybody in the White House, depending on, on their racial identity. And like the, certain coaches were getting handshakes. Other people were getting chest bumps. Some people were a part of the bit. Uh, I love it. I, I think we need more of that, particularly with the NFL going so anti-taunting. Like if you're a kicker and you're just beating the bejesus out of a conference doormat, why not go for it? So I think Boise's got their swag back. They've won now five of six. They're looking good. I think they're a live dog against San Diego State. I think they're finally in the right place offensively. So that that's my G5 here of the week. Love it. Yeah, there, there's nothing better than when Boise wears the all blues on the Smurf turf. And you like, you, you have to like, especially usually at the end of the night, you know, you maybe have been drinking all day and you're like, I can't even, I don't even know who's on the field. Uh, I love it. Uh, by the way, can we, before I get into my hero of the week, I, I assume, you know, the listeners are probably confused that we haven't mentioned someone already. So I'm just want to clarify with you. We're establishing we've retired Bailey Zappi from Hero of the Week, right? He's in the Hero Hall of Fame. Bailey Zappi. Because I mean, he's our hero every week. So we're just going to – let's let's go with the assumption Bailey Zappi has been retired. He's in the Hall of Heroes. Uh, so for mine, I'm actually going to go to Lou Nichols III, Central Michigan running back, who is just on an absolute tear. <clears throat> he should he should take uh, Kenneth Walker's spot in New York for the Heisman ceremony because guess what? Because he now leads the country in rushing with 1,516 1, yards. He has 137.8 yards per game. Last week against Ball State, 32 carries, 219 yards, three touchdowns. Here are, here are Nichols' last six games. These are ridiculous. 219 yards, three touchdowns. 215 yards, four touchdowns. 163 yards, two touchdowns. 192, two touchdowns. 136, no touchdowns. Got to be better there. 186 and a touchdown. He is absolutely on a tear. He is unstoppable right now. Lou Nichols III, the nation's leading rusher, coming out of the MAC. He's my hero of the week. Who is that uh, Central Michigan head coach? Do you know off the top of your head? That's Jim McElwain, right? I feel like he might be a good fit for this opening. I just heard that uh, Florida has, has terminated their coach. Oh. So I, I think he's definitely playing his way into consideration. You know, he's putting together this exciting G5 offense. And I, I don't know. I think maybe they should go outside the box and bring in somebody, you know, that they've never met before. So Jim McElwain, just throwing it out there. Uh, Urban Meyer might be unemployed soon. <laughs> Hey, I, if we're going to go deep in the bag, let's get Ron Zook at least one interview. I think he deserves it. You know, in retrospect, he uh, get the program cooking a little bit better than uh, the current state of UF football. But this is a G5 podcast, so let's get back on point here and get into our best bets. 2-0 last week, as we mentioned. I'm going to get started with a team that you're all very familiar with. You know, we dropped Bailey Zappi, so not far behind can be the UTEP Miners. We're talking Miner Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. And here we go. UTEP catching 13 and a half against UAB. This one's a situational play for me because UAB had an opportunity to win their division in Conference USA. They get their heart ripped out with, I think, two seconds left on the clock. They lose to UTSA. The season is not over, but certainly that is an emotional gut punch. And you're up against a UTEP team that's already playing with house money. They got seven wins. They're bowl eligible. But when it comes to hanging around, mucking games up, playing defense and, you know, ball control and field position, 
UTEP is that team. And when you look at the season, they've only lost by more than two touchdowns twice. And it was to Boise, which we can forgive them for that. And UTSA, you know, the flag bear, the best team in Conference USA. So I love the Miners in this spot. And it helps that uh, Hardison is coming off a career game against Rice. And the Blazer pass defense can be had. You know, this is a, a Bill Clark-led team that in years past, they, you know, buttered their bread with their defense. This year, you know, depending on the metrics you're looking at, you know, 50s, 70s nationally, I think this is a spot for them to score, let's call it 24 points, hang around. I don't think that UAB is going to be able to score high 30s against a really nice UTEP defense. So I'm going to go ahead with the Miners. They've been good to us all year. Why cut bait now? Yeah, last week of the year, got to go back to, got to go with all the old faithfuls. And, and I like to play a lot too. I, uh, you know, obviously, <clears throat> UAB did unfortunately cover against my UTSA bet. Uh, but UBA is weird where they, they don't move the ball well, but they're like weirdly super explosive. Like when they when they pass the ball, it's either incomplete or like a forty yard completion. And, and the the one like you said, UTEP's defense is very good at limiting explosiveness and limiting big plays. That's kind of the strength of their defense is not giving up the big plays, and that's really the only way UAB picks up yardage. So I like this a lot. I think they keep it close. <clears throat> you mentioned we we said it. This is the last week of the year. We're gonna dance with who brung us. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the pride of the Commonwealth. Give me the zap dog one more time. You think this magical season's ending without a Conference USA title big? Hell no. Bailey Zappi, Western Kentucky, I, the lines are moving around. When I wrote it down, they were plus one. They were getting points. It's basically going to end up being a pick em. Give me Western Kentucky over Marshall. The Zap Dog, we, we went with the Zappy Daily Double last week. Obviously, it hit both of us. He's come 470 yards, sixth touchdown performance. He now has at least three touchdowns in every game this year. He has four touchdowns in the last four games. Leads the country with 421 yards per game, 48 touchdowns. That is 10 more than Bryce Young, who's probably going to win the Heisman. Zappy has 10 more touchdowns than him. We always talked about Stearns has been the guy all year. But Mitchell Tinsley's really coming on strong. He's got two touchdowns each of his last two games. He has scored in five straight. He's now just two touchdowns behind Stearns for the team lead. So they're having a nice little back and forth. Marshall just allowed four passing touchdowns to Charlotte. You know, Chris Reynolds, who I love, is not Bailey Zappi. And the Western Kentucky defense was an issue early in the year, and they were just outscoring everyone. They have played a lot better lately. They just held FAU to 301 total yards. They had 25 yards rushing on 26 carries. The other thing I like about this Western Kentucky defense is the one area they've been very good at all season is forcing turnovers. They lead the conference with 18 interceptions. That's actually the second most in the entire country behind only Iowa. On the flip side, Grant Wells has thrown 12 interceptions the most in the conference. He turns the ball over a ton. He takes chances. He makes bad decisions. He turns the ball over a lot. That's where West of Kentucky lives. Rasheen Ali has been tremendous. You know, I, I, I backed him a couple weeks ago, but you don't bring a rock to a gunfight. You're not going to outrun Bailey Zappi's arm. The Marshall offense is just 108th in explosiveness. I think we've seen it. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to outscore West of Kentucky and Marshall's not going to be able to do that. So, one last ride until the Conference USA Championship game. Oh, that's going to be tough. If we get Zappy versus UTSA, oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even like thinking about it. I'm riding Zappy. One more regular season game. This season caps off with the Conference USA title bid. 
Western Kentucky plus one at Marshall is my best bet. I really like that you touched upon the improved Western Kentucky run defense because that's really the game within the game that's going to determine it here. Rasheen Ali has been just running through around. (laughs) He's playing great football. And I think if they're smart, they're not going to put the ball in the air as much as certainly not as much as Western Kentucky, but I think they should dial back some of that, uh, you know, run pass percentage in favor of the run. So if they're able even just to keep them under, let's say 125 yards, I, when you add in the fact of game flow, you know, if they get off to a hot start and they have to abandon the run, I think this absolutely plays into Western Kentucky's hands. So I really like that. All right. We're going to flip now to our, G5 deep dive underdog parlay hit last week. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. I was I was thrilled to see, you know, having watched many games on Saturday, I, I missed the, you know, the first quarter, but seeing ULL just, you know, race out to a nice lead and really not surrender that and, you know, never look back in a game against one of the top quarterback prospects, you know, coming up in the NFL draft. That was exciting to see. But for this week, I'm going to get more bold. And this is usually how it goes. I get emboldened by a little bit of success, but I want to give us a Thanksgiving to remember. And I'm going to start with Eastern Michigan plus 230. <clears throat> Here's the thing. I, I, I understand that they're going up against Lou Nichols, the third, who is, you know, basically Tony Dorsett's and, you know, Eric Dickerson, Herschel Walker, all wrapped into one. I get it. I got it. But when I look at Eastern Michigan, I'm looking for what is their ceiling? How well can they play? And then I also want to factor in, have they just been non-competitive in games? And really, since their tilt against Wisconsin early in the season, they've been competitive in every single game for months now. They had a near miss at NIU. They had a win at Toledo where they scored 50 plus. Ben Bryant has been mentioned in hushed, hollow tones here on this podcast. He's done a really nice job for them. It comes down to can they stop Lou Nichols III? Spoiler alert, they can't stop him. But when I look (laughs) at what they were able to do last week against Western Michigan, they were able to just, you know, Bend but not break on the run defense side. Less than five yards per carry surrendered. They end up winning a game 22-21 because of it. And I think there's a chance that they can keep Nichols under 150 yards. And if they do that, that's the key number for me in, in this matchup. If they're able to keep him from busting the long runs and making this a pure shootout, I think they're a live dog here. I was a little bit surprised at the number. The fact that you can get, I think the spread's up to eight and it's you know plus 230. I think that that's a little bit generous, maybe by three or four points on the spread, and certainly anything over 175, it piqued my interest. So I'm going to go with Eastern Michigan. I think this is a year in the MAC where there's a lot of good teams and no great teams. And because of that, I mean, not that I need to say the obvious, NIU is, you know, quote unquote, the best team. They're not great either. So for that reason, I'm going to take one of the many good teams and see if I can make the math work for me. What are we pairing up on your side, Ionella? Uh, well, first, I just want to say I, I don't hate it. You know, I love Central Michigan. I've been riding them a lot recently, but I just looked. I've actually bet Eastern Michigan in three of the last four games. So I like them as well. I, I really like Ben Bryant. I'll tell you what, I'm taking the over. I'll tell you that right now because I like Ben Bryant. I love Lou Nichols and Daniel Richardson. So I think it's 64 last I looked. Uh, so I'm definitely playing the over in that. So, you know, with a lot of points, you get some volatility. Maybe you, you cash that. Uh, you're going a little, little, you know, big game hunting. So I'll, I'll play it safe. I'll just take a layup and hopefully we, we, we get the one. I'm, I'm sticking in the MAC. We already talked about this game. The winner advances to the MAC championship against NIU. I'm going to take Miami, Ohio plus 105 at Kent State. Now I will be fully transparent with our list, you and our listeners. 
part of this is the hedger happiness bet for me because I bet Kent State at plus 550 to win the East before the season. So sprinkle a little bit of Miami, cover my loss. If Kent State wins, I'm still cashing it. So part of it's a hedger happiness. But I'm also nervous about my Kent State play because Breck Abbott battled through injuries throughout the beginning of the year, never looked right. We talked about him earlier in the year that he just did not look like himself. They ended up missing a couple of games in October. So I'm pretty sure he's just been playing hurt all year. Since his four games since his return, the Red Hawks are averaging 34 points per game. Gabbert's averaging 318 and a half yards. He has, he has 13 touchdowns and two picks in his last four games. For comparison, Dustin Crum has 13 passing touchdowns all season. And Crum's a guy we were super high on, and he has been very disappointing, to say the least, at least from a passing perspective. He's been running the ball well, but he has not looked good throwing the ball. Like I said, Gabbard's got more t- the same amount of touchdowns in four games as Crum has all year. Jack Sorensen and Mac Hippenhammer are two great receivers for Miami. I mean, they literally have a receiver named Mac. What <laughs> you think we're not going to bet on him to win to be in the Mac title? What are you What are you thinking? Kent State has the worst pass defense in the conference. They're allowing 280.9 yards per game. They give up a ton through the air. Kent State, on the other hand, is the best rushing team in the MAC. I just said Crum's been great. He's got 10 touchdowns. Marcus Cooper has 10 as well. This Miami-Ohio run defense, they have the second-best run defense in the conference. They are allowing 136.8 yards per game on the ground. And most of that came in non-con games against Cincinnati, Minnesota, and Army. In conference games this year, they are allowing just 94.8 rushing yards per game and four total scores on the ground in seven games. So this Miami-Ohio is really good against the run. And that's really all Kent State can do. Did you? In their game against Akron, I forget the exact number. Crum had like 80 yards passing. <laughs> and I get like he yeah. didn't need to because they ran it so much. But like this guy's supposed to be a future NFL prospect. He had 80 yards against Akron. So they're going to run the ball. Miami's very good at stopping it. And like I said, since Brett Gabbert came back, Miami's just a different team. So I never thought I would say this, but I think Miami has the better quarterback here. So I'm going to back him as a slight underdog against Kent State here. I don't know if he's the better quarterback, but he's certainly orchestrating the better passing game. There's just no doubt about that. We talked about it early in the season when Kent State had that murderer's row. Isaiah McCoy, you know, his departure has just not been filled. Certainly not from an explosive standpoint, not someone that they can you know throw that seven-yard slant and have it go for a touchdown. They just haven't been there, but they found a way to score a lot of points, which transitions into our G5 high five round robin here in week 13. The G5 high five. Should we high five? High five. I'm going to keep this with a game that you just mentioned. When I saw that Miami Kent's total was 65, this is one of those sprints, but don't make a scene at the sports book. You know, maybe a little bit of power walking. Don't let both feet get off the ground at the same time. Get to the window and bet this one because, I mean, it's pretty simple. Kent State cannot stop the run. They can't really can't stop anybody other than Akron, who they played this weekend. And that's what I love, the fact when you get a number like this, I think that was overly influenced by the fact that it comes in at 38 last week. Akron is a team, you know, if we had our quit, our quit index, it was definitely pointing towards a 10 out of 10 for them at this point in the season. So the fact that that is influencing this number, like if you take that 38 total points out, here are the last five games that Kent State's played in. 86 points. 95, 61, 99, 84. Like this is an absolute gift. And all I needed was to see Miami, who's kind of been, I mean, arguably the last few years from an offensive standpoint, one of the least sexy Mac offenses. 
but they're putting it together now through the air and Kent state is more than happy to let you run through their run defense. So if they're able to chip in 35 points in this game, I think there's a, uh, pretty close to a non-zero chance that this goes over the number. Obviously in, in Mac country, you always want to check the weather and make sure that there's nothing crazy going on with winds or sleet or snow or anything like that. But if the weather is leaning and putting you in a position where there's less than 15 miles an hour of wind, not a lot of crazy precipitation, go ahead and slam this one. This is how I want to get our round robin started. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like it. I think if my Miami cash is, it's probably going to have to be high scoring. Cause I mean, like I said, Kent state, Kent state goes so fast. They pretty much score on everybody. So yeah, I like it. All right. For my first play, you know, this time of year, I always like looking at the teams with five wins. I like circling the teams that have five wins, need, need a win to go bowling. There's a couple spots here. It's actually a couple of teams that are at five and six playing each other, which I actually don't like because that kind of takes away from that angle. Cause they both are playing hard. Uh, like I think I forget who FAU's playing, but they were in a spot where they're both both teams kind of stink. But I stayed away from that one. Uh, but I'm going with Memphis. I'm going to lay the six with Memphis against Tulane. Memphis five and six on the year. Honestly, they should already have six wins. You know, they beat Nichols, they beat Arkansas State, they beat Mississippi State in that crazy game. Then they had a really rough stretch where they lost to UTSA on a field goal at the buzzer. Two really bad losses to Temple and Tulsa. I'll admit those are bad losses for Memphis. Then they beat Navy. Then they lost to UCF with with Hennigan and Rodriguez Clark hurt, beat SMU. They and they smoked SMU. I know the final score says 28-25, but SMU scored two touchdowns late. They Memphis was in control of that game the entire time. They lost to ECU in overtime on a missed two-point conversion. And then Houston beat them. So, you know, between the the games without Hennigan, the Temple Tulsa, the ECU mm-hmm. loss, like the UTSA, like they should be well already in bowling. So I think they come in this one <clears throat> really motivated to get that bowl eligibility. Freshman Seth Hannigan, we've backed him a couple times this year. He's really been good. He's 20, 22 touchdowns, just eight interceptions. Calvin Austin third is electric, one of our favorite players to watch. Memphis is top 25 in the country in pass success rate. And Tulane is 10th in the conference and 102nd in the country in total defense. They are very bad on defense. They are 111th in the country in pass defense. <clears throat> The Tulane offense is eighth in the conference in total offense. Memphis is fourth. And I like Michael Pratt, I, I, you know, but Tulane does not run the ball at all. And, and that's really where this Memphis defense has struggled the most is when they get gashed on the ground, that's when they've, you know, really given up a ton of yards. And that's when they've ultimately lost games is, is getting beat on the ground. And I don't think Tulane's really built to do that. Um, you know, Tulane just – you know, they have two wins all year. They beat Morgan State and South Florida. So they're just they're just not a good team. And like I said, I think Memphis is, is going to be extra motivated to get that bowl eligibility that they probably should already have. So I'll lay the six with them. I think they have this they have the type of offense where they can run it up in a hurry if they get clicking. So I'll I'll back Seth Hennigan and the Tigers at minus six here. Having played Houston minus eight and a half last week against Memphis, you know, I watched that full game and Calvin Austin was in and out, had some limp offs, but then he would come back and, you know, hit a 40 yard play. So he is the critical player for their offense without stating the obvious, the straw that stirs the drink. So you want to make sure that he is a full go. This is one of those Definitely. plays I would wait right up until kickoff where, you know, you're following the beat writer to say like, is he going through warmups? Does he look good? Cause if he does, I think there's a green light play. Absolutely. If he's not, it's not necessarily one that I might pull off my card altogether because they do have some interesting younger options at receiver and Hennigan does a nice job of spreading the ball around. 
Um, but maybe just you know a reduction in overall units um, if Austin's not playing. All right, for my second addition to the round robin here, this one's pretty simple. BYU minus 260 on the money line. Their offense, now that Jaron Hall is back to 100%, they are absolutely clicking 53 points per game in their last three. He's exploded. Tyler Algier gives them the offensive balance. You know, they have a quarterback who can throw for 300 yards. They have a running back who can go for 200. And they're up against a USC defense. Let's bust out that quitto meter again. They have quit. They have bottomed out. DTR just absolutely put together a career highlight reel in a single game in the crosstown rivalry against UCLA or USC UCLA last week. USC now, when you dial up their stats, 113th in yards per play allowed. Yikes. You can run at will if you want to. And the other element of it is they just they can't bring any havoc to the table because they can't get to the passer. They're 85th in sack rate. So for all these reasons and the fact that, you know, BYU having a weird schedule sometimes is difficult or you can talk yourself in and out of motivational spots. Last week could have been a potential look ahead spot against George Southern. They end up handling their business. They could have you know put a little bit more on the scoreboard. They decide to take their foot off the accelerator down the stretch. Playing a premier blue blood Pac-12 school, this is going to matter to the coaching staff, to the players. I think there's a very small chance that USC's defense keeps them in this game. I think USC's offense is going to be able to score and make it a little bit interesting, but getting stops, getting off the field is not in the cards for the Trojans. So I'll go ahead with BYU here, a team that, you know, maybe it was um, a symptom of all their success last year, Zach Wilson being anointed as, you know, the, the rising NFL draft prospect. But they're having a really great year, and they're just getting no pub really to speak of. And I think because they're in that weird spot, not all that dissimilar from Notre Dame, where there's not a direct path where it's like you beat X, Y, and Z team, you get into the conference championship game, and maybe you can go to you know a New Year's Six Bowl. Because they don't have that path, I think they get ridden off by casual fans too early. This is a good team, and I think they're going to be a nice addition to a round robin here at minus 260. I actually don't love this play for the simple fact that I don't, I don't like laying the juice for the money line because for everything you just said is I think USC is absolutely on a, a quit team. And, and I think, you, you know, either they come out trying and, and, you know, Jackson Dart looks great and, and they, and they win the game or I think BYU absolutely pumps them. I, I, I think, you know, I think this is an either worth thing. I think, I think USC either wins or loses by 20. So, you know, for, if, if, you, if you put the money line, that's, that's who you want your pick. I'll go with it. But, like, I'd, I'd play BYU on the spread. I'd, I'd play alternate spread. I think they either lose or they crush them. Because, like you said, USC is just they, – they can't tackle. They can't stop the run. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like the BYU aspect. Of I think they win. I think they win. No problem. All right. Let's hear your last two to uh, cap off the week 13. Can't believe we're already here in week 13. Round robin. Now. For my next play, I am going – Back to one of those need a bowl win, need a bowl, need a win to go bowling. Uh, although unfortunately, this is a matchup between two of those teams, so you kind of have to pick one. I'm going back to the well. I'm doing it. I don't care. Give me Old Dominion. I'll lay the ten. And I love Charlotte. And I know you just made a face. You don't like it. I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. Because... I mean, what is going to happen the next time you're at line for Club Lit and you think like, oh, I know, I know the owner. I'm going to get in. Healy is going to duck his head out and look down the alley and be like, anybody but that guy. They're going to throw you in a dumpster Let... behind the Charlotte Athletic Facility. <laughs> Let me be very clear here. Charlotte is not a quit team. Will Healy, I love Will Healy. He's a great coach. I think he'll be a power five coach at some point in the next five years. They are not going to quit under Will Healy. I will say that sternly right now 
that being said, all the minions just rolling right now. They've won four straight. And ever since they made the switch to Hayden Wolf, they're a totally different team. I also think some context is important with this old dominion turnaround. It is important to remember that they opted out of last season. They did not play for over a year and they had a new coach and a whole new system and a whole new staff coming in. So to look at it and be like, Oh, they got off to a slow start. Uh, yeah, because they didn't play for a year and they had a whole new system and coach to learn. They have, and now they're clicking. And I think they're just a good team. They're playing really well. Hayden Wolf's having 257 yards per game in his five starts. Blake Watson is running the ball really, really well. And this Old Dominion defense has been really good. They're allowing just 19 points per game over their four-game winning streak. They're really good against the run. They're awesome against rushing explosiveness. They're like top five in the country against rushing big plays. They're really good at creating havoc on defense. And this Charlotte defense is horrible. <laughs> I mean, they are – I hate to do it to my boy, Will Healy. Their defense is horrific. They're allowing 466 yards per game, 121st in the country. They allow 32 points per game. They have been torched on the ground. In their last two games against Louisiana Tech and Marshall, who are not exactly offensive juggernauts, they have allowed 91 points and 1,092 total yards. These are two teams that need need a win to go bowling, and I think they come into this with totally different mindsets because Old Dominion has a ton of momentum. Like I said, they've won four straight games. They Their bowl's chances look dead in the water, and now all of a sudden they're right there on the edge of it. Charlotte's lost four of their last five. There's one and four on the road this year. I, I think I think Charlotte can, can feel their bowl, their bowl hopes slipping away. Where Old Dominion's like, oh, my God, guys, we're about to go bowling. You know, We look dead in the water, and now it's right there for the taking. I think they take it. I'll lay the 10. Give me the Monarchs. I hope this win is worth it when you're having half-price apps at Applebee's and you're looking wistfully across the street at Club Lit. But all right, what's the last one here for our G555? I feel like I'm developing a brand for my G555 to just have an absolute puke fest under. <laughs> That's like that. I, as soon as I give it out, I'm like, why am I even talking about this game? Give me under 57 and a half Houston at UConn. There's a good chance they could hold them under seven points. And it's, McCaskill did not play in the last, I, I think, second half against Memphis. So if he's not there, he is the home run hitter for their offense. Clayton Toon's been great. But if he's sidelined, I agree with you. I think there's a chance that maybe they just play a conservative and you know win 35-3 to three or something like that. Exactly what you said. Houston defense, sixth six in the country success rate, 12th in finishing drive, 16th in havoc, 8th in EPA per play. UConn's offense is averaging 15 points per game. UConn's not going to score 10 points here. Houston, 47, that's 48 is what they need to, to hit this over. Houston's already locked in the AAC title game. For Cincinnati, they have Cincinnati next week. What's their reason to run up the score here on UConn? Yeah, I mean, they're going to go, they're, it's, they're going into cold, rainy Wrenchler Field. There's going to be 78 people there. Like you said, McCaskill didn't play. Why rush him back for this game? I could run for 150 yards against UConn. And, you know, don't expect to see Clayton. Clayton Toon will, probably won't play the fourth quarter, you know, if, if the second half at all. You know, this this is going to be 42 to 7. So I'll take the under here. I Like I said, I don't think UConn scores. I mean, UConn may not score at all. I don't think they get into 10. And, and Houston has no reason running up here. So I'll play the under 57. I hope it's rainy in Connecticut. I hope it's gross. There's going to be nobody there. I might go to this game and just cheer for defense. Defense. I'm going to be doing that the whole entire game. Both teams on offense. I'm going to be having defense signs because I'll be in Connecticut this weekend. So go defense. Under 57 and a half. Just another gross game for me. Don't watch this either.
if you were to be the starting running back, you're the bell cow this week for Houston. What's your like signature uniform thing? So always loved wearing the the hand warmer around the waist, mostly because my hands always got cold. Uh, but I was like, I, but I'd always, I'd always have the hand warmer on on the waist. I thought I was like, yeah, it looks cool. Also, it's super warm. <laughs> and plus, you can keep your snacks in there. It's going to be a boring game, so you know you want to make oh, sure yeah. that you know you got yeah, at least a little leftover. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Halloween's not that far off. You probably still got a, a couple Skittles fun bags in there. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think that's a I think that's a good answer. Both the socks and the little snack bin. <laughs> I'm with you. Well, that's it for us this week. And uh, hopefully all of our G5 dreams come true and put together another winning week for you. We'll be back next week for conference championships, which most of them have been decided. But if you listen to the top, Mountain West is a train wreck. So hopefully that all gets sorted out without any Aaron Burr duels necessary or weird coin flips or a field goal kickoff to figure out who the, the mountain champ is out there. So for Mike Ionello, I'm Mike Calvaries. This has been the Group of Five Deep Dive under the Big Bets on Campus podcast banner. Thank you so much for listening.